nothing is pure potency except for prime matter, and nothing is pure act except for God himself. Everything between prime matter and God is some mixture of act and potency. So that's why St. Thomas qualifies this and says, it is not possible that the same thing should be at once in actuality and potentiality in the same respect. Okay, Something can't be potentially hot if it's already hot. Now, it could be potentially hotter, right? <laughs> so let's, uh, let's make it more scientific. Something can't be uh, potentially a thousand degrees if it's already a thousand degrees. It's actually a thousand degrees. Now, it's potentially a thousand and one degrees, right? Uh, so something cannot be both in act and potency at the same time and in the same respect, but only in different respects. For what is actually hot cannot simultaneously be potentially hot, but it is simultaneously potentially cold. It is therefore impossible that in the same respect and in the same way, a thing should be both mover and moved. That is, that it should move itself. So something cannot be both mover and moved in the same respect, right? So obviously in our experience, things are both mover and moved all the time. Think of the most the most immediate example that comes to mind is a billiard board, right? A pool table, and and the 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 you know if you if you take the cue stick and you hit the cue ball and you hit the four and it hits the seven and the seven goes in the corner pocket, um, those things were uh, both movers and moved. All the intermediate steps between my arm and the ball going into the corner pocket. Um, they were all both movers and moved, but not in the same respect, huh? because they didn't put themselves into motion. Uh, then it also must needs to be put in motion by another, and that by another again. So, okay, let, let me back up. Sorry, I think I skipped. Therefore, whatever is in motion must be put in motion by another. If that by which it is put in motion be itself put in motion then this also must needs be put in motion by another, and that by another again. But this cannot go on to infinity, because then there would be no first mover, and consequently no other mover, seeing that subsequent movers move only inasmuch as they are put in motion by the first mover, as the staff moves only because it is put in motion by the hand, or the, as the, the pool cue is put in motion only by the motion of the, the hand and the arm, huh? Uh, therefore, it is necessary to arrive at a first mover put in motion by no other. And this everyone understands to be God. So this is an argument from motion. It's the most superficial, I think, uh, because I think St. Thomas is sort of going in an in, in ascending gradation here metaphysically. But if he's talking about um, he's talking about things that we most immediately see. These are things that are that are sensible to us. Huh? And of course, we have to reflect upon them, which is what he's doing here. But it's not the deepest metaphysics. So, uh, simple enough. Uh, hopefully, we've got that. Everything that we see is in motion, and it's put in motion. Each one is put in motion by something else, which is already in motion. And that cannot go on to an infinite regress because if it does, there's no first mover. If there's no first mover, there's no second thing moved. huh? If, if I see motion now, I know that there was an 
an intermediate cause for that motion and ultimately a first cause. If there is no first cause, there are no subsequent causes, there's no intermediate cause, and there's no effect. By the way, all of these five arguments depend metaphysically upon the principle of causality. So why don't we do this? Why don't I quickly go, because I don't know that I'll have time for this at the end, because I'm seeing I'm taking more time than I thought I would. Um, why don't I give you what the, the the principle of causality is? So it's stated in different ways. Uh, every effect has a cause, right? So we see effects and we know they have a cause. Another way of saying it is that every contingent being has a cause. Uh, whatever is reduced from act to potency, uh, whatever, sorry, whatever is reduced from potency to act, sorry, I, that was like a metaphysical heresy. Whatever is reduced from potency to act is reduced by something already in act. Whatever comes to be has a cause. What is has sufficient reason for its existing. Sufficient reason for its existing. So, uh, this is the principle of causality, stated in various different ways. Every cause is an effect. I mean, every effect has a cause. Every contingent being has a cause. Whatever is reduced from potency to act is reduced by something already in act, and whatever comes to be has a cause. And finally, what is has sufficient reason for its existing. And you can't do science without at least an implicit understanding of this notion. Um, you know, a, a, a murder investigator couldn't say, uh, if, if unless there was some crude, at least, notion of the principle of causality, um, somebody investigating a crime couldn't ply his trade, could he? A scientist couldn't try to figure out the, the, uh, what, what caused this illness, what caused this outbreak, huh? what caused this disease. You, because all of this presupposes that an effect must have a cause, right? So it, it's a fundamental uh, idea of just human thinking, of, of reason. And without this principle, um, we would have no way of even inquiring uh, why things are the way they are. Everything would just be arbitrary and sort of magic. We'd be living in this either completely agnostic world where we have no idea, or we would explain things by way of just sheer magic. But even there, you've got some idea of causality. So let's go back now to the text of St. Thomas. Uh, let's proceed to the second way. So the second way is from the nature of the efficient cause. So here he's using more metaphysical language. What is efficient causality? Well, the word efficient, don't think in terms of you know a, 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 a gas engine that, that uses less gas because it's better engineered. That's not what we mean by efficient here. Efficient here comes from the word facio facere, feci factus, the, the, the Latin factum, the Latin word for to be or to make. Huh? So to be or to make. So we might say that the efficient cause is the maker of the thing. And it's going back to the four causes of Aristotle, the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. The final cause being the purpose the material cause being that out of which the thing is made, the formal cause being the plan or the design of the thing, and the efficient cause being the maker of the thing, say, the carpenter, okay, the artisan, the craftsman. And if he uses any instruments to do it, those are called instrumental causes, and they are part of the efficient cause. So, uh, the nature of the efficient cause. The second way is from the nature of the efficient cause. 
In the world of sense, we find there is an order of efficient causes. There is no case known, neither is it indeed possible, in which a thing is found to be the efficient cause of itself. For so it would be prior to itself, which is impossible. Now, in efficient causes, it is not possible to go on to infinity, because in all efficient causes following an order, the first is the cause of the intermediate cause, and the intermediate is the cause of the ultimate cause whether the intermediate cause be several or only one. So the intermediate causes that stand between the first cause and the ultimate or last um, is, uh, could be thousands. There could be, you know, there could be this long chain of causes. Um, but, uh, okay, um, yeah. But if, uh, I'm sorry. Um, now, to take away the cause is to take away the effect Therefore, if there be no first cause among efficient causes, there will be no ultimate nor any intermediate cause. But if the efficient causes, but if in efficient causes it is possible to go on to infinity, there will be no first efficient cause, neither will there be an ultimate effect. For any intermediate efficient causes, nor, nor, I'm sorry, nor, let me read that sentence again. But if in efficient causes it is possible to go on to infinity, then there will be no first efficient cause, neither will there be an ultimate effect, nor any intermediate efficient causes, all of which is plainly false. Therefore, it is necessary to admit a first efficient cause to which everyone gives the name of God. So, God is the first immediate cause. He's the first maker, huh? He's, he's the first one to uh, uh, make things to exist. And um, this is based upon the idea that there cannot be an infinite regress, because if there's an infinite re- regress, then there was no first cause. And if there was no first cause, there were no intermediate causes. And if there are no intermediate causes, there were no ultimate effects. Make sense? I hope so. You kind of have to chew on it. But this, so this is the second argument from the nature of the efficient cause. The third is, uh, he calls it from possibility and necessity. We might say from contingency and necessity, too. Because what's merely possible is a contingent thing. By the way, everything that's not God is contingent, okay? Um, everything that, that's not God is possible. The third way is taken from possibility and necessity and runs thus. We find in nature things that are possible to be and not be, since they are found to be generated and to corrupt, and consequently they are possible to be and not to be. But it is impossible for these always to exist, for that which is possible not to be at some time is not. So if it's merely possible, at some time it didn't exist, right? Therefore, if everything is possible not to be, then at one time there could have been nothing in existence. Now, if it were true, even now, there would be nothing in existence, because that which does not exist only begins to exist by something already existing. Therefore, if at one time nothing was in existence— it would have been impossible for anything to have begun to exist. 
and thus, even now, nothing would be in existence, which is absurd. Therefore, not all beings are merely possible, but there must exist something, the existence of which is necessary. But even necess- every necessary thing either has its necessity caused by another or not. Now it is impossible to go on to infinity in necessary things which have their necessity caused by another, as has been already proved in regard to efficient causes. Therefore, we cannot but postulate the existence of some being having of itself its own necessity and not receiving it from another, but rather causing in others their necessity. This all men speak of as God. Okay, So, contingent beings are by nature things that might not have been, right? Um, contingent things, let me repeat, are things which by nature might not have been. It's not saying they aren't. I mean, I'm contingent, yet I'm here. Uh, at one time, I was merely possible. Now, I'm I'm in act, right? But I'm not. I'm, but by by virtue of that very fact, I'm not necessary. My existence is not ontologically necessary, because at one time I wasn't. At one time I was merely possible. So if there were, if there are only those things in existence that are merely possible, then nothing would exist, because the 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 stronger reality, the more ontologically firm reality is the necessary thing, right? 